We've made it, people. We are here. That's right. It is Super Bowl week, Super Bowl 55 to be exact, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are hosting, literally hosting, the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs in their own backyard, a.k.a. Raymond James Stadium. How does it get any better than this? What's up, everyone? Welcome into Season 2 of the North and South Podcast, where we bring you thoughts and ideas from all different directions. I'm your host, Evan Winner. Find me on Twitter at Evan underscore Winner. Unfortunately, my co-host, Jason Curtis, cannot be here today. But don't worry, you can still find him on Twitter at JC Bucks Nation, and he'll also be back with me later in the week to preview Super Bowl 55, as well as he'll be putting out just plenty of great, great content for Bucks Nation Radio throughout the week, so be sure to keep your ear to the ground for Jason. You can also find both of our written work over at BucksNation.com, which is SBNation.com's Tampa Bay Buccaneers blog, and those are the fires that have forged this podcast, so... Send all hate, negative thoughts, and criticism their way. Send all love, happy thoughts, and warm, fuzzy feelings our way. I hope the past week has treated everyone as wonderfully as it has treated yours truly. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about football, baby. That's right, because as I mentioned earlier, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing in their second Super Bowl as a franchise. So naturally... They went through the typical practice routine, team meetings, interviews, all that good stuff. But there was one small change in the interview process, and that was Jason Light made himself available to the media last week, and it was a really good interview. And there was one question in particular and his response to said question that really stood out to me and is honestly the inspiration for this podcast. And that was a reporter asked Jason, basically what changed after the Chicago game. And I found Light's response to be very, very interesting. And as I said, good enough to where it could produce an entire podcast episode. So without me paraphrasing, without forcing y'all to have to listen to just my voice in general, explain what Jason Light said, let's listen to the man himself. So again, this is Jason Light responding to the question of how the Chicago loss in week five changed how the team played throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, that that game was a um, probably in my career here, we've had a lot of bad losses, but that one was one that really stung the most, I think. And. You know, not only did we lose the way we lost with the penalties and things like that, we also lost Vita. And so I was talking about this the other day with Bruce, actually. I said, gosh, that game still, that game still stings. And he said, that's the best thing that happened to us. Um, that game was the best thing that happened to us, looking back in retrospect. So I think he's right. Um, we cleaned up our penalties. We were more disciplined. And it just brought everybody together. So it showed that we're all human. Um, everybody and everybody's accountable, needs to be held accountable. And everybody on the roster, everybody in the front office, everybody in the organization. But um, it brought us closer together. Good stuff from Mr. Light. Really good stuff. So this podcast episode is going to be about the turning point of the season for the Bucks. At what point in the season did Tampa Bay officially 
get on track for the Super Bowl. When Light told the story about Bruce Arians saying that changed everything for them, so on and so forth, that sparked this idea in my head. And obviously, the turning point in a season can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So what I did was I reached out to some of the biggest personalities covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I asked them if they'd like to come on and give me their thoughts on what they think was the turning point for the Bucks in 2020. I love Arian's response about the Chicago game. I don't necessarily know if I think that was the turning point for myself. I'll re- reveal that here in a little bit. But Tampa Bay certainly did not commit as near as many penalties throughout the regular season as they did uh, through the first five weeks of the season and in that game where they had 11 penalties. So in that instance, I definitely agree. And just real quick before I start getting into the interviews with everyone that I had the privilege and honor of speaking with and getting this all together, but I also found it really interesting that Jason Light said that that loss stung the most out of all the losses since he's been here as GM. Now, I'm not going to go down the list of the most painful losses over the last five years. Obviously, that's subjective. But I guess that, to me, just the overall, the big picture takeaway from that is that's how much this season means to Light. Not only to Light, to the Bucks and the players, obviously, as well. But, I mean, just think about it, putting all your cards on the table – Bringing in Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, you know, bringing in Bruce Arians last year, and this being your last shot, he was already on the ropes. Well, uh, what's the speculation was he was already on the ropes. Sorry, I, there was never really any word that his job was in danger. But up till 2019, I mean, you could argue that there were quite a few holes on his resume when it came to what he's accomplished and not accomplished with the Bucks. So. To hire Arians in 2019 to you know have the season you had with Jameis and go seven and nine and even though there was improvement it just it wasn't enough for a winning record, uh, let alone a playoff spot, and then to push like I said all the chips all put your cards on the table um, and bring in uh, Tom Brady and everyone else this season for it to work out as well as it has and just as important as this season was. I guess I can see why Light would say, you know, that one stung a lot. But anyways, let's get to these interviews. Got a lot of great guests coming up. They're going to dish out their thoughts on what they think is the turning point or was the turning point for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2020. So we're going to take this quick commercial break. They're going to run back to back so we can just run straight through these interviews. I've got a lot of great guests coming up. Um, But we're going to take this quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with the turning points of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2020 season. All right, so first up on the docket to give us their thoughts on what they think the turning point for Tampa Bay's 
2020 season was is Stephen Che of Barstool Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen Che, and that's S-T-E-V-E-N-C-H-E-A-H. And obviously, you can find his work on Barstool Sports. Stephen, man, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're doing great, but you know I always got to ask anyway, how are you doing? And let's go ahead and dive into this. Uh, What do you think was the turning point for Tampa Bay in their 2020 season? Um, yeah, so first off, Evan, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, exciting, you know, couple weeks for Bucks fans uh, with obviously the playoff wins and then, you know, our, our looming showdown against the Chiefs. Um, so everyone's very excited right now. Um, but looking back at the season so far, the turning point wasn't a game. It was the bye week. I mean, they went into the bye week. Uh, you know, I, I would say they kind of limped into the bye week. Um, you know, after that shellacking uh, against Kansas City, they they lost a pretty disappointing game to the Rams uh, on Monday night. Got wrecked by the Chiefs. I mean, the the final score was closer than indicated, uh, or closer than it really was. But you know, they were getting blown out in the first quarter. The game was essentially over at that point. They had the bye week. Um, they're at seven and five. Um, uh, the the other day, maybe it was Jason Light who said that. Uh, uh, or maybe it was BA that said that um, during the the bye week they did so much self scouting um, and really changed a lot of things because at the time remember you know coming off of two straight losses you know they are losing three or four to the Saints they beat we beat the Panthers but then the Rams lost was a bad one and the Chiefs all the talking heads were saying you know oh we need to run the Bucks need to run uh, Tom Brady's offense like Bruce Arians offense clearly isn't working the bye came at the perfect perfect time um, and. They had a huge game against Minnesota, um, who was nipping at their heels for a playoff spot, and the Bucs took care of business. They did a lot of self-scouting. Um, you know, you can look at um, a ton of different points in the season. You know, they said the Chicago game. I know you have a game that you want to talk about coming up. Uh, but I honestly think it was the week that they didn't play football is the bye week just because of all that extra intel they got on themselves. Yeah, B.A. said it best yesterday, you know, talking about how it was such a late buy. They did their uh, self-scouting, and they went really, really in deep with everything. Um, And obviously, this is kind of diving into the speculation waters. But, Stephen, in terms – I know you you watch the film a lot. You break it down do an excellent job. In terms of just your general opinion, what are some of those improvements or changes they made in terms of self-scouting after the buy? Yeah, I mean, it was talked about – Previously, with uh, Tom Brady in his, in his uh, past stop, New England, you know he's there for forever. Um, <laughs> he used a lot more pre-stat motion. Um, the Bucks are using a lot more of that, and they're utilizing twelve personnel a lot, which is uh, one in, one running back, two tight ends. So um, instead of you know these gobs of receivers, you know they before the buy they're putting out you know Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, um, sometimes Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, and, like all in the field at the same time. They couldn't really figure out what to do. I mean, there were some times where Antonio Brown would be in the backfield. And, you know, I thought that was a great idea because, um, you know, our current stable of running backs aren't great pass blockers. Um, But I think they just kind of figured out what is best for them. And Cam Bray, you know, Gronk is an incredible blocker, both in the run and the pass game. So utilizing him on the field, um, in addition to, you know, obviously he's a great pass catcher. Um, really opens up their offense and then allowing Cam Bright to play the kind of traditional receiving tight end role um, is certainly his strength, but he can also play some H back. So I think they just did a better job figuring out their personnel. Once Antonio Brown signed and he's still a great player, the offense just became a little bit clunky. Like him, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, all from a speed perspective at this point in their careers are all pretty similar. Um, So 
taking Scotty Miller, who's a guy who takes the top off the defense, is you know one of the fastest guys in the league, changes the dynamic a bit. So I think they just need to figure that out um, in the bye week. You know, it's that skill, that self scouting really helped. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there are disadvantages with a late buy like that. But obviously, the one advantage is you have plenty of tape to sell scout and all that good stuff, as opposed to an earlier uh, bye week. For me, the turning point this year was after the bye week, but it was the halftime of the Atlanta game, Um, the halftime edition of the Atlanta game, I should say, week 15. Tampa Bay was down 17 nothing. just came out, absolutely took care of business in that second half. Just to me, it seemed like they realized that, hey, what we want to do in terms of postseason run hinges on what we're doing now in terms of getting that fifth seed, in terms of going up and playing an NFC East team in the first round and kind Mm -hmm. of just getting that kickstart in the postseason. Um, Came out, played lights out, got it all done. But, hey, man, I don't think you go wrong with either selection. I don't think you're going to go wrong with any of these selections that are going to be shown and promoted and talked about on this episode. But, Stephen – Thanks again so much for coming on, man. Um, let everybody know where they can find you real quick before we sign out. Yep, uh, I'm at Twitter. It's just my name, uh, Stephen Shea, S-T-E-V-E-N-C-H-E-A-H. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I work at Barcelona Sports. So I'll be involved a lot there with kind of what we're doing Super Bowl-wise. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, our second world championship. Same here, man. Hopefully. God, it's going to be great. All right, bud. Take care. Thank All right, much. Go Bucks. The ones that hate me the most look just like me You tell me what that means Make a slick comment and see what that brings I've seen it go down, we can reenact things Extreme like Big, big shout out to Steven Thanks big time for coming on And can't wait to see Hopefully we've all got something to celebrate uh, Coming up in about a week Next up for the Turning Point discussion Is the Athletics' Greg Amon if you know the Bucks, if you follow the Bucks, you've got to know who Greg is. Um, has been covering them for quite some time now. Used to be affiliated with the Tampa Bay Times. Regardless, enough of that. Greg, let's go ahead and get into this, man. First off, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Hey, doing well. Uh, thanks for having me. For sure, man. Always a pleasure to talk. So I'll just go ahead and ask. I mean, there's no other way to beat around this. For you, what was the turning point in Tampa Bay season? I think you have to point to the bye week in week 13, um, you know, seven and five before it, seven and zero oh afterwards. I think there are things that changed over the course of the year. You, you look at the Bears loss. That's certainly a game that uh, I think they woke up a little bit in terms of having to clean up penalties, having to play cleaner, having to limit turnovers. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, things were so uncertain going into that bye. Uh, they had lost three out of four, kind of right on the cusp of the playoff. Had they lost to the Vikings, they, they would be on the outside looking in pretty much. Uh, so I think having that week off, kind of polishing things up and improving on offense especially, is really where things started. And honestly, it wasn't like an immediate thing. I mean, if you remember that, that Vikings game, they, they you know, big part of why they won is, is that Dan Bailey missed four kicks in that game. Right. So it really wasn't until maybe the second half, like halftime of the Falcons game, uh, where they really took hold. I mean, they struggled out of the gates against Atlanta that first time. Uh, and then just poured it on in the second half of that Falcons game. And from that point on, I mean, the Falcons game, finish, and then Detroit and Atlanta, and on to the playoffs. I mean, that was the, the best football they had really played in terms of both sides of the ball, offense dominating, offense scoring at ridiculous clips. And then in, in the postseason, I think, is when the defense probably caught up and really started improving as well. 
Speaking of that offense, I mean, from weeks 14 to 17, you really couldn't do any wrong in terms of Tampa Bay's offense. Uh, number one in the league in pass touchdowns, tied for the fewest interceptions, and that was just an unlucky bounce off of Scotty Miller's hands into the hands of Ricardo Allen for the Falcons. Second most total touchdowns, number one offensive yards per play, number one in net yards per attempt. I mean, just everywhere you look, the, the offense was literally on fire. And that the turning point for me in the season was that halftime of the Atlanta game in week 15. I think Tampa Bay kind of realized, hey, you know, what we want to do in the postseason, a lot of what we're trying to accomplish is going to be based off of that wild card weekend game. And obviously, if they're taking a West Coast trip now, I'm not saying you know, that's how a team completely thinks and they're, they're looking that far in the mirror. But at the same time, they realized, hey, we've got to get our act together if we want to take a legit shot at everything. Um, so for you, just and obviously we're going to jump into the speculation waters just a little bit. But in terms of your eye, what you've seen and you've been following this team for a long time. So, you know, and you've been following football for a long time. So, you know how everything works. What kind of have you noticed that just in particular has been different since that bye week? Oh, I think they're much crisper on offense. I mean, like you mentioned, that they're not turning the ball over much at all, uh, save, I guess, three straight interceptions in Green Bay in the second half. But, you know, defensively, I think takeaways have come at such opportune times in these games. Um, their ability, you know, I think we're in their kind of a, a middling first-half team. Their ability to, to make plays and pull away in the second half is something we've seen, you know, three games in a row now mm-hmm. um, to, to close out games. For the longest time, this was a team that was in games in the fourth quarter, and you just didn't know if they could get that last stop, if they could get that last drive. And, and it, they've done that. I mean, you go back to the Saints and Winfield forcing a fumble and Devin White getting a pick, and then Mike Edwards getting a pick to kind of seal things. That's what did it. I mean, you know, Green Bay – it wasn't really turnovers in the second half of that game, but it was, it was stops for sure. I mean, it was two, three and outs immediately after Tom Brady picks and then goal line stops, which is really hard to do against Green Bay's offense this year. Yeah, 80% clip in the regular season scoring uh, touchdowns inside the red zone. So that was absolutely impressive to watch. And I'm right there with you, man. The turnovers or the lack thereof have just been – have just stood out in such a glaring way, and it's not because – people who follow the Bucks or the Bucks fans or the franchise in general have been conditioned to a lot of turnovers over the last five years. It's just literally because Tampa Bay outside of last week's NFC championship game hasn't been committing turnovers. So just a lot of fun to watch. Hopefully it all bleeds over in the next week, but obviously that's a different time, a different story, a different day. Greg, thanks so much for coming on. I'm spending a little bit of time and talking with me. Let everybody know where they could find you real quick before we sign out. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at my name, just Greg Allman, G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N, and everything I write is at theathletic.com. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Y'all heard it there. Be sure to check them out. Take care. All right, man. Thanks again to Greg for coming on, especially on such short notice. I, you know, obviously Jason Light didn't make these comments until Wednesday, and I just had to reach out to everyone. So, you know, the fact that I was able to pull in just the the willing participants that I was able to pull in and then to make the time for me, just really, really appreciative of everyone. And 
Don't worry, y'all are definitely going to hear things like this after every guest. So listeners out there, be ready for it. Hey, got to pay my dues at least in some respects, right? But anyways, let's get on to the next guest. If you follow me and listen to me regularly, um, if you read my stuff, then you've got to know who my guest next is. It's Gil Arcia, the godfather of BucksNation.com. He's the managing editor down there, uh, the boss, the big guy. Um does an excellent, excellent job. Without him, we not we would not be here for y'all. Regardless, you can find Gil on Twitter at Gil Arcia Bucks, and you can also find him obviously on BucksNation.com. Gil, thanks, man, so much for coming on. How are you doing? Absolutely, everything's good, man. I'm finally uh, happy to be on with you, man. Yeah, dude, for sure, and uh, hopefully, got a lot more to talk about after this week. Um, unfolds and everything that goes on so man let's just go ahead let's go ahead and get straight to it uh what to you was the turning point for the 2020 season well it's it's kind of ironic right that the uh turning point at least for me was the uh the chiefs game in the regular season um when tyree kill put up what like like 1200 yards in the first quarter or something like that (laughs) um the uh the Bucks defense decided to make some adjustments. Um, and actually he spoke on that this week, um, I believe. And he, you know, make, made a joke of, uh, about it saying that, you know, it, they asked him what, what caused him to slow down against the Bucks during the regular season um, after that performance in the first quarter or whatnot, or first quarter and a half. And he said, um, well, he just, he just wanted to slow down. So, <laughs> um, so, so he, he was either that or that the, uh, the defense decided to play faster or something like that. I forgot what it was, but he, he alluded to the, of the adjustments that Todd Bowles ended up starting to call out to the defense. Um, and so um, that from that point, um, they went into the half 20 to seven um, and there was a, a comeback, if you will, I guess, um, which they ended up going, what, 17 to seven in the second half for the Bucks, um, right. but it was too little too late. And so I think from that point on, I mean, the Bucks haven't lost the game. Um, the, against the Vikings, obviously, it was a little bit of a slow start there, too. But um, after that, though, I mean, it's been pretty much just the Bucks' defense playing to – or actually re- recognizing adjustments. Uh, because the week before that um, was the same score, too, against the Rams. Um, that didn't play out very well because we saw how fast they were coming out, too, against the Buccaneers' defense. So I, I just think they ended up just kind of – putting things together um, when they traveled to Atlanta, I believe was the game um, after the Vikings game. Um, they, they started out very slow there too. Um, I mean, the first half was pretty much all Atlanta. So um, I, I think what we've learned from the Bucks is that they learned to go ahead and actually make adjustments when they needed to. Um, they played the Saints in the divisional round completely different than they did in the regular season. Um, and then with the Packers, they kind of did a mix of um, – what they did against them in the regular season and against um, on the Saints in the divisional round. So I, I think what was the turning point was in fact that second half and on against the, against the Chiefs. So we are recording on a Sunday and this is the day that I'm going to really dive into that first game film wise. And I can't wait to find out what, well, not at what exactly, because obviously we're not in the huddle, but I can't wait to get a good idea um, on about what Todd Bowles did to slow down that Kansas City offense in the second half, because I feel like it's going to play a lot into what the Bucks do on defense um, in the Super Bowl. And JPP and Shaq, uh, Shaq Barrett also 
found a pretty nice groove there in the second half in terms of getting the pass rush. Mm -hmm. And I I'm right there with you, man. I feel like, I feel like bowls kind of more or less began to feel more comfortable about bracketing your top receivers in that second half. That's what they did to Tyreek. Um, and that's what they did to Devontae Adams a lot last week as well. If you go back and watch, you can see a lot yeah. of the plays. You know, Jordan Whitehead was specifically on Adams at a certain point, as well as Carlton. You know, you could just see how they were bracketing him. Um, so I feel like, yeah, man, that th the adjustments they made in the second half were good enough and effective enough to kind of turn on the light and, you know, get them to realize hey, you know, we need to play to our strengths. We need to kind of scrap the game plan if it's not working. And like I said, can't can't wait to find out, or I keep saying find out, but I can't wait to get a better grasp mm -hmm. on what they did in that second half. So in terms of the defense and containing Patrick Mahomes, obviously Vita Vea comes back, but what do you think is going to be the key to not necessarily stopping Kansas City's offense, but slowing them down uh, defensively for the Bucks? Well, I think Sean Murphy Bunning said it uh, best um, this past week, which I put a post up on it on uh, BucksNation.com. Um, when he was on Jim Rome, he just said they have to, I mean, it's kind of silly and it's very short, but, I mean, it's it's easier said than done. He just has to, they have to make him uncomfortable. And I think you do that kind of similar to how opposing defenses make um, Tom Brady uncomfortable, right? You just apply pressure. Um, the difference here, though, is that Patrick Mahomes is obviously much more um, mobile, obviously, than Brady is. So it, Murphy Buttoning saying that, you know, they have to make Mahomes comfortable, uncomfortable, it's, like I said, it's easier said than done. Um, pressure from the outsides will be key to go ahead and make sure that he doesn't go ahead and actually break contain outside the tackles. But um, at the same time, though, you have to go ahead and make sure that you apply that pressure up front. So or up the middle. So while you have Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul um, coming around the edges, you have to make sure that that middle is also clogged up as well. Uh, Mahomes is very good at making sure that uh, he eludes the tackles on the outside or the uh, attempted tackles on the outside. Um, and then once he does break outside the the tackle box, then you also have to go ahead and make sure that the that the receivers are well covered downfield. Um, and I think we saw that in the second half of the Chiefs game in the regular season where um, Davis was uh, blanketing uh, Hill and then you had a safety over the top and they did the same thing actually um, with Kelsey. So um, they slowed them down that way and they have to make sure that they do that same exact thing or it will be a long night for the Bucks defense. For sure, man. And we saw them contain Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, and his out-of-structure plays pretty well last week. He did get out of the yep. pocket a few times, but overall the Bucks secondary played well enough to limit what he could do with his legs. Now, granted, he did make a couple of good throws out of structure, but um, overall in terms of what he usually does in that context, they did an excellent job, and I can't wait to see if they do it against uh, the Chiefs, and especially with, um, especially with uh, Eric Fisher being out. We saw Shaq Barrett take advantage of the backup left tackle and Jason Pierre-Paul last week um, against the Packers. So I'm right there with you, man. I think this defensive front and what they can do and how fast, athletic, and just strong they are um, and how disciplined they are as well, as long as they're not jumping offside. <laughs> I, I believe that's going to be the key to this game for sure. Gil, again, Absolutely. man, thanks so much for coming on. Um, let everybody know where they can find you, though, before we sign off. 
Uh, BuffsNation.com um, is where you can see, obviously, not just mine, but Evan's work, everyone else's work as well. Um, we have a great group of guys over there. Um, on Twitter, um, just follow the site account, um, at BuffsNation. Um, and then, obviously, mine um, is uh, at Gil Arcia Bucks. Um, but just uh, find all our work, obviously, on a uh, um, BucksNation.com. Y'all heard it there. Check us out. I'm so used to saying check him out or check her out. <laughs> check us out there for sure, everyone. Yo, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Gil, big thanks to Gil. Without him, none of this would be possible. So all of you should be groveling at his feet. (laughs) You know, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, big thanks to Gil. Moving right on along to our next guest is going to be, I mean, you know him if you listen to me on a regular basis. I can't do a podcast without this guy around. He's, He's like my lifeblood. He's my backbone. Gene Thomas of the Buck What You Heard broadcast, part of the Bucks Report family. You can also find the Buck What You Heard broadcast on YouTube. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Find him on Twitter, at Buck What You Heard. Gene, my man, what's up? Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Man, I'm still excited, man. I I, I still haven't come down from that Green Bay game. It's, I mean, <laughs> division, division champions right there. I mean, NFC, uh, You what what better way? to uh, go into the Super Bowl. Dude, yeah, I mean, just these – it's been of a long time just getting to this point from last week's win. So, obviously, this next week is going to be even longer. But I also want it to kind of take its time getting here because I want to soak all this in because, obviously, 2002 was a long time ago. We don't know when this is going to happen again. So, I won't be too upset if the world is on a, a – st- sundial time instead of stopwatch man I almost screwed up my own joke there anyways man one thing that's not a joke was the turning point for the bucks in their 2020 season obviously this is all centered around what bruce arian said earlier in the week about the chicago game uh, being the turning point for the bucks gene in your highly esteemed estimation what was the uh, turning point for the bucks this year Okay, this is going to sound long-winded, and and I apologize, but but kind of stick with me here. the The Chargers game showed me the potential that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to do well this season. So I, I'm going to start there, and I think the Chicago Bears game was where you kind of saw what this team, you know, they just kind of hit a wall or or whatever you want to call it. And you saw all these different penalties, backbreaking penalties. Uh, they were missing players. But ultimately, I think it was after the Chicago Bears game is when this team started to turn it around. Uh, the penalties went down. Uh, you saw the offense do a little bit more than, than what we've seen in the past. And then you saw a little bit of regression. But uh, to get to your point, I would have to say after the bye, after the bye, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were on fire. And this is, you know, and in past, we've looked at this team and when they've had the opportunity to control their own destiny, they've always failed at it. It just has not happened. 
But in this instance here, we see where Tampa went out and they, they won against the Vikings. They won against the Falcons. They won against the Lions. They won against the Falcons. Uh, and the path to the Super Bowl has been probably the most difficult of the two teams where you go out and you face a top-rated Washington football team defense and you win that game. And all these were road games, by the way, in the playoffs. So when you look at that game and then the next game, um, another another game which it, the Saints were a team that has had the Bucks number for years and the Bucks go in to their house and beat them. And then, you know, when you look at the Saints, they were looked at as the team to beat to get to the Super Bowl. And I mean, not taking anything away from Green Bay, which I'll get to them in a second, but just the, the path that the Bucks took to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, it all started after the bye week and they haven't lost and they haven't looked back. I think I really like Bruce's uh, vantage point when it comes to the Chicago game being a turnaround for the Bucks or being the turning point. And you could make an argument because you're right. I mean, the penalties went down and they went down fast after that game. And the mm-hmm. penalties are the exact reason why Tampa Bay lost that game. Now coming out of the bye, just, I mean, again, another excellent point with you talking about how this team has had a chance to control its destiny in the past and has not lived up to uh, doing that. So let me ask you this. How much of that do you think it's all on Tom Brady? Do you think a little bit of it has to do with Bruce Arians as well, kind of being a guiding light? And do you think that JPP and Dominic and Sue, their veteran presence also kind of paid off? Or how much of this are you contributing to Tom Brady? I think it was a perfect storm. Uh, and shout out to Jason Light, uh, who did, who's done an amazing job these past three seasons with uh, the acquisitions they've made, uh, free agency and through the draft. I mean, going back and getting your front seven back with the exception of losing one player, I believe, and getting those guys lined up, hitting on the draft with Antoine Winfield Jr., that was just the perfect storm uh, with that defense and the way they've grown together and and come together to put this team in this position is nothing short of amazing. So um, I I think part of it is the defense, but I want to say the Tom Brady effect is huge. Uh, I think when you have a competent quarterback uh, and you limit interceptions and the defense is able to give you a short field and you're able to work off of that, um, I would have to say that is part of the Tom Brady effect. And I think that that worked hand in hand with the defense, not having to play on a short field and uh, not getting those backbreaking penalties and, and, and some of the other things that you've seen where the offense really hasn't done the defense any favors, but they've worked together hand in hand and, I believe that it collectively it's everybody. Byron Lefwitz, Bruce Arians, uh, Tom Brady, all coming together to really help mold this offense into what it is right now. Uh, again, I, I don't think I miss it. And, and the kicker, I have to bring up Ryan Suckup. And you're going to yeah. laugh at this, but I, I am on the Ryan Suckup apology tour because when he came in, I was like indifferent. I was like, man, another kicker, come on. And I, I didn't care, but what he's done has been nothing short of phenomenal. He doesn't get enough props. And again, that shout out to Jason Light and and uh, Bruce Arians bringing in the pieces they need to put this team in a position to succeed. So, so many different pieces, but it all came together collectively. And you have a beautiful looking team right now, if I can say that. If I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that, a beautiful looking team right now. Yeah, 
compared to what we've seen in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, man, totally. Put them all on a swimsuit calendar all day long. Absolutely. Love it. It it is a perfect storm. And and Brady is kind of the eye of the storm or just kind of the glue that holds everything together. You have these guys who have been – to Super Bowls, Jason Pierre-Paul, LaShawn McCoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, well, sorry, not LaShawn wasn't here before this year. Um, but Adama Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett. You have guys who have been to Super Bowls and have won a couple of Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. And you have other guys who ha- are a veteran presence but had not experienced the postseason like your Levante Davids, your Mike That's Evans. Right. But they are team players. All they needed was that extra little push, that little bit mm-hmm. of a – a guide from Brady, and I really feel like he's doing that. And, man, it's just all come together so well. I'm really excited to see what happens from yeah. here on out. I, I have to say, you know, and I don't have a problem ever saying I'm wrong because I'm 100% wrong. Oh, what a difference a quarterback makes. Oh, for sure. And, and that's the thing, too, is if you take – I mean, the Bucks have had two turnovers in their last seven – well, sorry, before the Green Bay game. They yeah. had two turnovers in six games, and one of them was an interception that bounced off Scotty Miller's hands and just happened yeah. to land into Ricardo Allen's chest. So right. that's and that goes with what you were just what we were just saying a second ago. Um, whenever the Bucks coming out of their bye week, they were seven and five. They knew they had to win those last four games if they wanted to have you know a decent shot at a good postseason run. So when when your your room for or your margin for error is already pretty small. The last thing you need to do is be turning the ball over and creating an even bigger grave or or a, a deeper hole to dig yourself out of. So man, there you go. Yeah, dude. I mean, just right on spot with everything you said. As always, man. And I, I agree though. The my turning point is after the bye week, but it's more specifically, it's coming out of halftime against Atlanta. Um, just really feel like that's when Tampa Bay started to play with that sense of urgency that they needed all season long, honestly, but yeah. I feel like, you know, they kind of said, Hey, we got to stop screwing around. We've got to do what we do. We've got to put our foot on the gas. And that for me, one, the, how they started playing football coming out of halftime against Atlanta in week 15 on that to me is whenever I finally was just like, okay, okay. They're, they're figuring things out now. Yeah. But G man, I, I appreciate you big time for coming on. Um, like I said, especially with such short notice, I know I tagged your stuff a little bit earlier, but um, go ahead and let everybody know again real quick where they can find you before we sign off. All right. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Buck, Buck's Report. Um, I'm always on there. I'm on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can also, you know, go out to YouTube and subscribe to Buck What You Heard, uh, at Buck What You Heard. And on Twitter, follow me at Buck What You Heard. You follow me, I will follow you back. Y'all heard it there. Be sure to check him out. He does great work. Gene, thanks again, man, so much. All right. Appreciate you. Well, this mad world made me crazy. Might just turn around to 180. I ain't politicking, I ain't kissing no baby. The devil on my doorstep being so shady. Mm, don't trip. We don't gotta let him in. Don't trip. As always, a great conversation with Gene. Be sure to check out his stuff. And of course, a big thanks for coming on the show. My next guests. If you follow the Bucks, if you listen to any kind of Bucks podcast, you know exactly who these guys are. If you follow me, just like with Gil, then you know who they are. But just in case none of those boxes that I just mentioned are checked on your list, up next 
are James Yarko and David Harrison, both co-hosts of the Locked on Bucks podcast. Find it on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever the major podcast networks are out there. And then find them also on BucksNation.com where they like to hang out with, you know, lowlifes like me every now and then. You can find James on Twitter at jyarko underscore bucks. And then you can also find David at dharrison82. Guys, what's up? How are we doing tonight? Oh, it's Super up, Bowl week. Thanks for having us. How, how <laughs> could we be any better during Super Bowl week? Oh, I know, right, man? I mean, it's just – it's such a surreal feeling right now. And just can't absolutely wait for kickoff. Obviously, we're still a little ways away, a little bit over a week. But earlier in the week, and this is all what this podcast is stemming around this this episode, um, Jason Light brought up how Bruce Arians talked about the Chicago game being the turning point in the season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just how it kind of set them on a different path for the rest of the year. So that got me thinking, I wonder what a lot of the big personalities that cover Tampa Bay think is the bit the turning point in the season for the Bucks in 2020. So guys, let's go ahead and dive right on in. Uh, David, we'll start with you just because D comes before J. You know, no preference here, guys. You know, I love you both. But, David, what would be the turning point for you in Tampa Bay's 2020 season? Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be this, this is going to be a little bit unexpected. And some people are probably going to disagree with me. But uh, for me, the turning point in this season, um, the, the thing that stands out the most about the 2020 season for me is, yeah, I'm going to go with it. It's the 98-yard run by Ronald Jones. Um, and and for, for multiple reasons. So for one, Ronald Jones, I mean, if you're, if you're a Buccaneers fan or if you've been covering this team since Ronald Jones was drafted, you know the struggle that he had. First, kind of catching up with the NFL speed of the game, the language, the, the mentality, the scheme uh, that Dirk Cutter wanted to employ with the Buccaneers offense when he was drafted, and then coming in, kind of getting his opportunity to get some shots on the field to develop in real time under Bruce Arians and then studying and trying to become a better all-around running back to becoming basically the starter in, in the back half of last season and then coming into this year as the guy, but then seeing Shady McCoy join the team, Leonard Fournette join the team, and all of a sudden you go from being the most talked about uh, weapon as far as, you know, excitement and what is he going to do and everybody wants to see what you're going to put on the field to sometimes to, to a second fiddle, honestly. I mean, when Leonard Fournette hit the roster, a lot of people basically made Ronald Jones the backup again. Um, and, and to a certain extent with snap counts and touches and, and all that, he actually has been in some of these games, especially here in the playoffs, mostly due to that injury. But I think that that run right there really kind of, solidified Ronald Jones as a legitimate running threat in the National Football League. I mean, he was already, I, I can't remember right at the moment where he was that time, but he was like a top five or so running back in, in the NFL. And even that's got to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt due to some of the injuries that happened in the running back position throughout the year. Got it. But still to be a top five running back in any year, no matter you know who else is injured, the Christian McCaffrey's of the world are going out, all that stuff. There's still other starting running backs out there getting touches. And then you go back, I mean, just a little bit, uh, before this game or just the week before this game, you know, a record low in touches. So, I mean, he basically has an entire game that he can just kind of throw away as far as statistics is, is concerned. So to still be up there in that top echelon of running backs in the league is important. And I kind of fast forward that all the way to the Green Bay game. And I know a lot of people gave him some flack and were kind of disappointed his performance coming off that injury and everything. And he was even one of the worst on our show and on BucksNation.com and, and got a lot of votes. But I look at it this way. I think the Green Bay Packers came into that divisional round game saying we've got to stop the run, that, that this team knows how to run. They've got both their running backs back, and we know that they know that this is a weakness for us, so we have to basically overcommit to stopping the run to force the ball into Tom Brady's hands. As crazy as that sounds, 
that's the mentality that people have been taking a lot this year from a media standpoint. And, and it seems from an X's and O's standpoint, they kind of want to force Tom Brady to be the catalyst for a Buccaneers win. And unfortunately for most of those teams, obviously it's worked enough to get them to the stinking Super Bowl. And I think that's what the Packers did. They basically came in looking to completely shut down the Buccaneers run, force the Buccaneers to pass and catch the ball in a cold, you know, environment, whatever, whatever, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it bit them in the butt. Yes, the game was kind of close, a five-point win for the Buccaneers in the NFC Divisional uh, round. And, you know, a lot of Packers fans are going around saying, well, if this didn't happen or if this didn't happen or if this drop didn't happen, it could have been a completely different game. Well, you can flip that. If two balls don't careen off of Mike Evans and end up as interceptions, that's 10 to 14 points that the Buccaneers are adding to the board. So now you take that five-point win, it could be a 19-point win. You know what I mean? So the, the Buccaneers were able to take advantage of the fact that the Packers were so heavy in stopping the run and turn it into an effective passing game. Obviously, some things happened. To, to mitigate that, but it kind of shows you just how much of a threat this running game can be when a team like the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game is so committed to stopping it. Yeah, mine is, it's probably one that a lot of people are going to point to, and I'm going to I'm gonna say the turning point was the second half against the Atlanta Falcons there in week, what was that, 15. Week 15, um, look, you're heading into halftime, you're down 17 to nothing. You do come back and you answer in the second half, but you, you know, you then turn around and give up another touchdown. You're down 24 to seven. And this is following a game where a lot of people are talking about, well, the Buccaneers didn't win. Minnesota lost because of all these missed field goals. You have another slow start, which harkens back to the the Saints primetime game, the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a slow start against Minnesota. You have another slow start. And then in the second half, all of a sudden, Everything starts clicking. You have Brady motioning and directing Mike Evans through traffic as he's scrambling outside the pocket, hits him for a huge gain. You got Fournette, who was running hard, getting in the end zone. You have the connection there to get Antonio Brown his first touchdown with the Buccaneers. That started him on a run where he scored four touchdowns in three games. And on the defensive side of the ball, all of a sudden, you're you're slowing down Russell Gage. You're slowing down... Calvin Ridley, Devin White with two key sacks in the fourth quarter of that game. To me, that's when it all really started to come together for both sides of the football. And we know what happened from there. After that second half, then the starters only have to play half of the game against the Detroit Lions the following week. And then in the final game of the year, they just, you know, continued their domination into the playoffs, which has really sparked this now seven game hopefully eight game win streak after this weekend. And you know, Evan, you and I were talking off the air. You go back to the second half against Kansas city and it looked like that defense really started to figure some things out. So now over the course of the last six and a half games, you have, you have a team that's really started to figure things out on both sides of the football, really started to play as a unit. And when one side is down, the other side picks them up. That's the the true meaning of complementary football, where the offense struggled in the second half against Green Bay and the defense was there to take care of business. Same thing against the New Orleans Saints. The offense was having trouble moving the ball the length of the field. The defense was there taking the ball away, creating opportunity, creating short field for the offense. They were able to capitalize, and that's really been the difference in this team. And, and to me, it all goes back to the second half of that first Atlanta Falcons game. 
David, I absolutely love your point with Ronald Jones and his 98-yard touchdown run. I mean, we know how much this team and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich in particular want to establish an identity, a physical identity. And obviously the best way to do that is up front running the ball. And if you go even go back to Bruce Arians' days in Arizona, he wanted to employ a very, very physical rushing attack. Um, and I'm, I, I know y'all are very impressed by my ability to make two different noises um, at the same time <laughs> as I speak. So, you know, I just we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another day, that talent. But either way, um, uh, <laughs> and then Dave or J- James, um, just the whole the whole thing with them finding their groove in that second half or yeah in that second half against Atlanta um that's honestly what my turning point for this season is is because you know we we knew coming out of that bye week that this team had a lot at stake going into the last four weeks of the season especially when it comes to playoff seating um Greg Almond actually pointed out in his segment earlier that or reminded us actually that if Tampa Bay lost that game to Minnesota they would become the last seed in the NFC and would be basically fighting with uh, Arizona and whoever else was trying to find get that last seed. And it could have really screwed up the the path of the Super Bowl, could have ended up with a West Coast playoff game in the wild cards of the East Coast, so on and so forth. I really feel like that Atlanta game, they got their act together. They realized what was on the line, at least at halftime, and then just lights out after that. But, guys, man, thank you all so much for coming on. Um, let everybody know where they can find you all before we sign off real quick. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just I'll do my typical outro from uh, from the show. Check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Subscribe to the Locked on Bucks podcast, and you can follow along on Twitter at Locked on Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DHarrison82, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Yeah, James said it for me, so we're good. <laughs> oh, all right, <laughs> all right got y'all heard it there. Be sure to check them out for sure. They do excellent work. Um, I have a front row, front view seat towards it, so I would know personally. But um, guys, again, thank y'all so much for coming on, and we'll obviously be talking soon. Yeah, appreciate you. All right, thanks so much, Evan. See y'all. I said there wouldn't be any more commercial breaks, but had to take just one more. Just just one more. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, again, thanks to David and James for hopping on. As always, great talking points, great insight. But we are at the end of our journey. We have our last but certainly not least guest on, and it is Michael Pless of Real Bucks Talk. One of the best Buccaneers analysts out there. Be sure to check out what he does on Twitter at Real Bucks Talk. That's their handle. You can find them on YouTube, and they are a part of the Bucks Report family. Take breakdowns, um, like I said, great analysis, insight, and just overall good commentary from even better dudes. Regardless, Michael, thanks so much for coming on, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Evan, for having me on. Uh, this is uh, this is pretty awesome. I'm excited to be a part of this. Dude, yeah, it's an incredible feeling, and it's I like how you know I, we've obviously been following the Bucks for a while now, all of our lives essentially. But this is like I think for most of us, this is the first time as you know, fringe media, media, whatever you want to call us, um, 
that we're actually covering the Bucks A, in the playoffs and obviously for a Super Bowl run. So just a really cool feeling and really, really honored to uh, share this pri- privilege with y'all. But let's go ahead and dive in, man. Tell me, what was the turning point for you? What what sent the Bucks? at what point in the 2020 season did they finally get on the Super Bowl trajectory, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone can can say it happened, you know, during the bye week, they they figured things out. But really, when I look at it, I think, you know, you know, this answer is probably gonna be same across the board is really that Falcons game, they were down 17, nothing. And they really just like everything clicked, they found they found a way to, you know, obviously come back in that game and win. So I, I really thought that was the the turning point and where the team you know, offense, defense, special teams all came together um, and really unified. And you could see like the chemistry was growing with Antonio Brown on offense. Um, Leonard Fournette was coming, you know, more of a factor. So really everything was starting to to work and it seemed like their offense, they just figured it out. Like they knew who they were. Um, and same goes for the defense as well. As they were playing more aggressive in that second half, they're getting after Matt Ryan and making the necessary stops. So, yeah, I would say that that really was the big turning point. Whenever we were DMing, you know, talking about you you coming on and all that good stuff and mapping everything out, and you told me that was your your pick. You were the first person who told me that that was your pick, and I got super excited, if you couldn't tell by my response, because that's exactly how I feel about the situation. Because coming out of the bye week, I expected this team to just ride off the bat, you know, right from square one, just take off. I don't know why, because obviously the body of work leading up to that was rather inconsistent, especially over the last few weeks, despite the injuries, despite all the other stuff that was going on. Um, but I still expected them to come out of the gate, especially because it's Tom Brady and it's Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. They know what they want to do, so on and so forth. So when we saw the, the struggles in the Minnesota game and them kind of get let off the hook by Dan Bailey and then obviously going down at 17-0 in that Atlanta game, to me, man, it was just like, whoa, what is going on here? You know, these, these last six quarters is not – you're not going to make the playoffs doing this and you're certainly not going to win a playoff game. And I don't know if that sense of urgency, that light bulb just all of a sudden came on in that half and then over the next, you know, 10 quarters of regular season play, the Bucks just knew what had to be done. Don't know what happened, but I'm glad whatever happened, happened. So, Michael, based off of, you know, like I said, you you do a lot of film breakdown and all that other stuff. Um, based off of what you've seen and just in your opinion, and we'll dive into the speculation waters here a little bit, what did they do in particular in that game? And what have they done since to really f- control games and establish their identity against their opponents yeah i i think it's just really you know attacking you know staying on the attack they've used a lot of more you know pre-motion um you know play action passing down the field utilizing their players better you know utilizing the screen game whether it be antonio brown or godwin or mike evans uh so they've just been more diverse in how really they they call the plays and how they sequence it and it's been better flow. So really just finding their rhythm uh, has been better from the start. And we've seen that, you know, in the playoffs, we've also seen it, like you said, down the stretch there. Um, I mean, you noticed it big time, especially when they took apart, you know, the Detroit Lions and how they just had, you know, they did whatever they wanted. And uh, it was really nice to see that they finally found the right approach, the right buttons to push. 
and uh, it, it's been working. It's really been working. So, yeah, I think it's just they're making things more. They made things more simple and not try to overcomplicate anything. And they understand that they have a lot of talent. So just use that talent in their in their way of, you know, attacking the defenses the right way, pretty much taking what's there. And uh, it, it's worked a lot. I hate to be cliche, but, you know, the old saying, if you're going to figure things out, you might as well figure them out in December because that's the best time to actually figure out who you are and all that stuff. I tried not to use the phrase figure out again, but obviously I failed very, very mightily at that. <laughs> but, man, dude, thank you again for coming on. Um, short and sweet, but, hey, you know, sometimes those are the best types of conversations. Uh, I know I already plugged you, plugged you earlier and plugged the Twitter handle, but go ahead and let everybody know again where they can find you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, thank you for, you know, having me on and, uh, this was awesome to be a part of, but yeah, you can find me, uh, at real Buckstock on Twitter. Also check out our YouTube channel, uh, just search real Buckstock, and it's right there. Be sure to hit the subscribe if you haven't and, uh, much appreciated. So thank you, Evan. Thank you, Mike. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. That will wrap it up. That will do it for the Turning Point edition of the North and South Podcast. want to just give one big last thanks to everyone who helped me out with this. It was a lot of fun putting it together. Hopefully it was just as fun for you all to listen and consume it via however the hell you're consuming your media these days. Be sure to be on the lookout for plenty of more content this week that is going to be featured on Bucks Nation Radio. As I mentioned earlier, Jason Curtis, my co-host, is going to be putting a lot of stuff out from his vantage point. And then obviously we will have the Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl 55 preview later in the week as well. So everyone, I hope you enjoy the hell out of the next few days and we will talk soon. But until then, everyone stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, and go Bucks! Yeah. The ones that hate me the most look just like me. You tell me what that means. Make a slick comment and see what that brings. I've seen it go down, we can reenact things. Extreme like DMXing. These boys pussy and they PMSing. People in the city see the movement occurring and say, My God, I wanna be in that scene. Damn right, you wanna be in this scene. She had the video trying to be in this scene. Used to fantasize about being this scene. Bluegrass girl, but she got big dreams. Can't touch me, I got instincts. Locked in the house, but I'm plotting things. I brought a gang to the party with me. Five white boys, but they not in sync. <gasps> Fuck what y'all think Fuck everything that you say about me My dogs like to play mad in the 2K But one thing they don't do is play about me My homeboy Tyler, he playing South Beach He told me this summer he gonna fix my jump